0: This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forster, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Hello, and welcome back, my friend. Man, today I'm here with Michael J. Quith. Michael is a, um, another podcast host, but he's also a men's coach. So he's coming at it, understanding, hey, I've gone through this stuff, same passion. He wants to see other men understand that they're not alone and that life can be different. So I'm really excited for our conversation here. We've already had a great conversation before and leading up to this, and And listening to Michael on, on his podcast, stellar guy, um, amazing heart. So I'm looking forward to this. Michael, how are you doing today? My friend,
1: Mike, I am doing amazing. God is good. The opportunity to be here with a smiling face like yours and and hopefully one person who needs to hear this message. I could not ask for more for a beautiful day like today.
0: Glad to hear it. Thank you, my friend. Well, let's start off. Michael, what does life look like for you today on the professional side of life?
1: So on professional slide of life right now, I have the world's best job because here's what I get to do. I get to take men who are stuck somewhere in their life. Maybe they're addicted to pornography. Maybe they don't know how to take care of their wife and their wife's very angry. Maybe they're dealing with these long hurts in their past that have prevented them from being able to you know, connect and love and be fully connected to their emotions. But whatever their story, we all come from somewhere and I get the opportunity to walk next to them side by side and go through that journey of healing and i'd be totally clear it's not me that the magic is the magic sauce is not in michael the magic sauce comes from above but just the ability to sit there and watch is as the miracles unfold is so amazing and coming from my background i have a phd in chemistry thought i was gonna be an engineer for the rest of my life what a radical change and it shows that god always has something better planned for us
0: yeah absolutely i thought it was really funny as you and i were talking earlier and I had lived in Idaho and you'd lived in a different place in Idaho that we actually worked at the same place in different divisions, but in the same place, it was like, wow, this is a super small world. So, Isn't it funny? It is. It's one of those of like, what, wait, no serious. So yeah. Well, let's jump
1: over to the personal side of life. What does that look like for you today? So I am married. I have six children and I can honestly say that had you asked me 10 years ago, I would never have guessed I'd be living where I live now. I live up on the Northern Idaho Panhandle. It's getting dark, but right now, about that direction, about 10 miles, is this amazing downhill ski resort. And at the time of recording here in mid-November, we just got our first nine inches of snow dumped on the mountain. So everyone's eagerly holding their breath for when the slopes open up. And of my six children, three are old enough already to go skiing, and they're all already on the Black Diamonds. Oh my goodness, my heart sometimes when they, they go racing down, like, you know, you're supposed to let go sides, but they're like, "Hey, Dad, watch this!" I'm like, "Ah, don't die! Your mother will never take me, let me back in the house." And so, it's it's such a blessing. We live in an older home here. We have a, we have five acres, and you know, there's always challenges. There are always challenges. You know, no matter how far we make it, I look at how far I've come and how different the childhood my children are experiencing is from what I experienced growing up. But there's still challenges. At this moment right now, my mother and her husband are visiting us, and it's. Interesting for me to see, and this really kind of maybe answers that question, how happy my mother is for the life my children are experiencing compared to what she knows that we went through when we were younger, and that is such a blessing yeah
0: it's it's night and day, man, and I mean, even speaking f- from the place that I'm at right i'm I'm at fifty two my kids are all twenty nine to twenty two three grandchildren. I am grateful to see. The relationship because of the changes that I made, the healing I went through, that I have a relationship with my children and my grandchildren. And, you know, it's one of those, does it always have that ending? No, not necessarily. But I'm grateful for the opportunity to be there, which if I hadn't, if I had said no, Michael, that never would have happened. I would have been on the outside. And it's like, is the risk worth it? Absolutely. A hundred times over. So yeah, I can imagine how how ecstatic your mom is seeing how how
1: different things are for you guys. Right now, my oldest is twelve, so my kids go from four to twelve. We did six kids in eight years, which, by the way, I do not recommend that, as there's some stress involved with that timing. But as all things, as God wills, and and yeah, and as I stumble through, and my oldest was still little, but you know, learning and absorbing when I still was really struggling with anger. And so, you know, as that's parent, you always see you transmit some of your own faults and flaws to your children. And so it's, I'm so blessed that God has given me the time to work on this now while she's still at home. And I can then go up to her and I can say, kiddo, look, I see that you're angry. I even see that, you know, some of these patterns you've learned from me, but let me just talk to you with you and see what's going on here and explore what's going on. And it is such a blessing and such a gift to be present with children in that deep way. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Especially when they're trusting you to, to open
1: up and share
0: and go, Hey, this is really how I'm feeling. These are the struggles I'm going through. It's night and day to the way I interacted with my parents. Um, you Mm -hmm. speaking about anger is a great point to jump into. Um, how, how did you experience anger? Like, how did it show up in your life that your kids got to see it? And now they're getting to see you, um, not engaging in that way. Like how did it first start out and then how did you move out of it?
1: Well, I, I really need to set the stage a little bit here and kind of tell you a bit where I came from. So I grew up in very Northern Michigan and it was a relatively poor family. And my dad was the sort of guy that was not ready to get married. The only reason he got married is because after my, I was conceived and the idea of aborting me was rejected, which was a discussion topic they've told me about. His dad said, well, then you're marrying the girl, so go marry her. And it was not a great start. My dad was extremely violent, broken bones, uh, bruises, had to be explained away to school authorities, um, yelling. I remember a couple times wrenches come flying up my face. And it was a very, very scary, terrifying place to live. And it got worse when I was in sixth grade and I discovered that my dad had been doing things to my younger sister for some time. And not going into any details, of course, but it's the sort of thing that in a small community, everybody knows what's going on. And so here I am, you know, I don't really have a loving father image. And when this is discovered, my dad goes to jail for 10 years. And now all of a sudden, I don't have a dad. And my mom has no degree, no job, no way of providing income. My dad was the sole income for the family. He's gone out of the picture. And it, it just starts to sink in that, shoot, we're in a rough spot. And even that, because I've got all this hurt coming in, but I think with the, the next piece that really twisted it in was, you know, bluntly, like I was a smart guy and, you know, I was, I was hurting. I was upset. I was smart. So when you're in school and you know, one of the other kids says something mean, I had snap back and I was good at it and I would snipe them down. Well, I was smarter than them. So what would they do? They'd go, Oh, well, you're just a son of whose dad did such and such. I bet you do such and such too. And that just built this just feedback of shame to where like it got to where like if I even said anything that all that was the response because they knew that would shut me up and so that shame just kind of started being baked into my identity of who I was and kind of getting a bear caged in a corner there like I wasn't sure what to do but man you poke the wrong spot that claw comes flying and so I graduate high school and I'm like you know forget this town I'm out of here and I went off to school and I pursued what I call the church of hedonism. Every pleasure I could think of, well, I never got the heavy drugs, something, praise the Lord, I didn't touch those. That could have gone bad. But outside of that, I chased ladies, I chased porn, I chased alcohol, but all of it deep down was this deep, deep, deep wound and shame. And I was so mad because I knew there was this huge injustice going on and I didn't know what to do about it. And I just wanted stuff to go the way it was supposed to go and I couldn't get there. And so I got mad. And this really kind of, I think I, I hit it for myself pretty well. And I, I was like that raging fire with kind of like a veneer of calm on the outside. And it really became obvious to me when my oldest at the time was one and we're at church of all places. And she was doing what one-year-olds do, which is kick and scream and tantrum and, and do exactly what they know you don't want to do because that's what one-year-olds do. And I'm there in the cry room holding this kiddo and I wasn't hurting her, but I was squeezing her too tight. But hmm. more than that, my face. And I was told this later on, my face was just twisted in anger and I was just so filled with anger. And I just remember this feeling, why am I so angry right now? And I just, Argh. and that kind of gave me a clue like, Whoa, maybe there's a bunch going on in there that I need to deal with because this poor little kiddo does not deserve what happened to me. And I could just see like, in that moment, see that, like you mentioned earlier, the choice we make, do I want to go down the path that's comfortable and familiar that my dad did? Because that's the path. I, I saw it. I know You trained me well in that path. Or do I want to try to find a different path?
0: Yeah. That, that path has already been, uh, pretty well burned in. I mean, we're watching, right? We're, we're observing, we're picking it up and that, that becomes normative. So yeah, there's a lot of things that it's like you decide. Yeah. I want this. No, I don't want that. Um, so. In that, like you're looking at the anger and, and you get an image, right? Of wow, this is not what I want. How did you begin to release that and move away from it? Because I mean, it is a pattern. It's, it's setting off almost like gates, right? It, and sometimes they move fast, you know, it's like something sets you off and it's like you're off, you know, nitrous oxide (laughs) off to the races kind of thing. But how did you go about saying, no, I'm not going to continue to respond this way. And I'm going to work to, you know, cut these wires that uh, send me off.
1: I think before you can cut wires, you have to understand where they come from. And it wasn't easy. This was not quick for me, but I found uh, I was given a blessing, both of an amazing Catholic therapist and as well, a great mentor friend who had walked down a path similar to this before. And between the two of those, and I'll, I'll try to keep this somewhat short because I'd go on for a long time about this one. What we discovered as we dug into my heart was that I was angry. Anger always comes from a sense of injustice. And when we're exploring anger, one of the great questions to start with is where is the injustice? What is the injustice that's triggering this anger? And as we dug into my heart, what we discovered is a series of expectations. The expectation that I should have been treated better. The expectation things should have gone differently. The expectation I should have had a father. The expectation I should have grown up in a loving household and that had good, you know, parents that were there and present and, and didn't have all the crazy cesspool that went down instead. And not only that expectation, but also the expectation that I should have had a different lifestyle, that I should have had more money available to me growing up. And there is this host and series of expectations, some of which perhaps a little bit of entitlement, like the money one, some of which perhaps a little bit more coming from the woundedness that this this is um the damage that's done there it is correct to observe that shouldn't have happened that was wrong that that damage happened that that wound was created but before we can cut the strings we first have to go into that space and say what are those wounds what are those vows what are those expectations what are where is the injustice coming that you're perceiving and as i dug in deeper and deeper i'll, I'll pick one particular example and For some people, this might be difficult to understand, but it became clear to me that I had to forgive my father. And I, a a great deal of my anger was towards him. And at the time when I remember the moment the therapist said, okay, so let's talk about forgiveness towards your dad. I I was like, whoa, what? No, stop the presses. That is not something we do, right? I told you what he did, right? So you know that story and you're saying this. No, come on. Let's talk sensibly here again. And that patient willingness of him and this other gentleman just to walk with me as I slowly went into that space flailed around and anger some more going into that space, but just there to be like, Nope, Nope, this, this is the path. And you have to go through this path. And so I, I think that was really the first step is just to even get some clarity what's going on. It's, it is one of the hardest things
0: I think to accept and move through But I think it's also one of the most freeing things because you can look back and Michael, there are deep ruts where I dug my feet in and I went, not just no, but you know, a a lot of colorful words of no, he doesn't deserve it. I don't want to give it all to realize I was the one keeping myself imprisoned, chaining myself emotionally to the baggage, the hurt, the shame, the pain. Um, man, it, it's, It's not at all. I think when we hear forgiveness, it's not at all what we experience when we go through it. Is that similar to like what you discovered or was it different? Oh, it's so true
1: because it feels so impossible that you sit in that moment. You're like, that would destroy me. And I'm going to maybe make a, a bold statement that says, in a sense, it's true. It will destroy a part of you the part of you that is the chains, the part of you that is bound and tied to this pain and hurt, that part does have to get destroyed. Because when we go through that forgiveness, there's a surrendering. There's a surrendering of, I hold judgment. It ought to have been different to, it was what it was. It wasn't perfect, but I've learned to accept that that is the past. That's what's happened. I can still offer this person the gift of forgiveness, not even for their sake, but for my own. In fact, jumping ahead ever so slightly in the story, it took a couple more years before I was ready to actually say those words to my dad. But even when I did, he really struggled to even accept what I was saying, and I realized because he couldn't forgive himself. And in his own chains, he was unable to really even hear, but I also realized that it wasn't really what it was about. It wasn't really about what I what I needed to forgive him not for his sake, but for myself. And in that little mini death, a little death of my egotistical self to demand justice and that death there is such a freedom that comes
0: yeah the way that you were walked through it was it that what your dad did you forgiving him makes it right or doesn't necessarily like make it right like is forgiveness um uh saying this was okay that what you did or not
1: you know that's a really common misunderstanding about forgiveness, and so maybe to answer the question, I'll use a silly story. Let's pretend right now that I reach through this camera and I steal ten dollars from Mike. Ha! I'm a villain. Now, Mike doesn't know how much I stole though; he just saws me, sees me grab his wallet, and this you know big old silly grin on my face. And now, Mike, he's a, he's a much more generous guy than I am, so he might choose to forgive this thievery of mine. But before he can even forgive it he first has to identify how much did I steal? Did I steal a thousand dollars? Did I steal a million dollars? Probably not. Mike Mike my casket, but maybe. Did I steal $10? But when he identifies, when we identify what the specific injustice was, then it becomes impossible to forgive. But forgiveness never means the injustice wasn't an injustice. The theft was still real. I still have a $10 bill that was Mike's here in my hand. I obviously don't. But this, this this hideous crime that I've committed, and I'm using this one to be silly because we all laugh a little bit, but the truth is this is equally as true for the crimes of our parents and the crimes of my fathers, and particularly against me. The act of forgiveness never says, no, no, that was fine. There was no crime, there's no offense, there's no break of justice in this moment. Instead, it actually says the exact opposite. There was, and very specifically, this is the injustice that occurred, and therefore this is the injustice that must be forgiven.
0: Yeah. And I incorrectly assumed and the reason part of the reason why I was hesitant is that I thought that it would, you know, say, hey, what my dad was dad did was okay. The interesting thing was, as I began to recognize what I was doing to my children and repeating that pattern, I wanted to be forgiven, but I was struggling to forgive. And it wasn't until I looked and went, I did the same thing to my children that my dad did to me okay, now what do I do? And it was this crossroad of, okay, if I want that, I would assume my dad does. But even if he doesn't, I know it's the right thing to do. And it doesn't say that, yeah, dad, you're okay. And what you did, it just says, I'm not going to hold this and have it be this weight that's trying to pull me under into all these negative emotions and ways to medicate
1: one more perspective to offer when it comes to forgiveness, and this is a biblical perspective for some people, this may not resonate, but Jesus tells a parable about a, a servant who owes his master 10,000 talents, is the direct translation. And the master forgives him, and then this servant refuses to forgive another servant who owes him 50, 50, uh, 50 daily wage. My brain's turned off there. And then the master gets upset, and here's what's cool about this story. When this servant, the unforgiving servant's dragged before the master, the master doesn't say, you did the math wrong. It wasn't actually 50 denarii that he owed you, but it was 30. No, no, no. The master never disputes the claim of the second charge. He's, he acknowledges that debt is valid. And so the reason why we're invited to forgive is never that our math is wrong. Like, I mean, we're human. Our math probably is a little bit wrong, but that's not the reason that we get invited to forgive. We'd invite to forgive because we need that forgiveness even more. And this is, I'll say, very easy to see from a pers- religious perspective, but if you're a little humble and you look closely at your own heart, and most of us know that we're not exactly as perfect spring rose as spring roses ourselves, and we need that forgiveness. And here's the real kicker. If I am unable to forgive you, it is extremely difficult to forgive myself. And that makes a very, very miserable life. You cannot give what you do not have. If you do not have forgiveness for others, you cannot also give it to yourself. And that's, that's a painful spot to leave, and that spot leads to alcohol to drugs to anger to whatever your your particular way of soothing that yucky feeling is. yeah, so as you were working through that with these other guys,
0: did you then discover, hey, I'm unwilling or unable or just not aware that I need to forgive myself in the process? Was that
1: something you came across as well in in working oh, through with these two guys? Very much so. Uh When we humbly look at ourselves, it's, I mean, we know our own sins better than anybody else, right? Anyone short of God. Mm-hmm. And so let, let me put a few things out there. When I went to college, I drank like a fish, I chased some ladies. I wasn't always the most honest and, inte- and integrity individual. Like, there are some choices I made that were not kind. And then on top of that, even inside my own marriage, you know, this sounds crazy, but it is possible within marriage to lust after your own wife, to diminish her to something to be used. And then at that, even as you said as well, it's particularly painful, I think, as a father when we see ourselves hurting our children in the same way that our fathers hurt us. And all of that disgust and loathing and shame that had built up inside and back of me for years towards my towards my father, suddenly pivoted and pointed the finger right at me. And that was a rough spot because that's a hard, hard self-forgiveness to do, too.
0: So how did you work through that once you realized, hey, I need to forgive myself for what I've done? How did you begin working you know, through that
1: process? The honest answer is poorly. <laughs> it took some time. Um, but I, I think men heal in the presence of other men. There's a certain nature of the dynamic of the relationship between a man and a woman which doesn't allow the particular type of vulnerability in a man that's necessary to have this deepest level of healing. And so we men, if we don't have another man in our lives, that we just completely trust and can say, I can share my yuckiest, darkest, dirtiest bits with this other guy. And he's going to sit there and he's going to listen. He might dope slap me up the head if I'm not trying hard enough. But he's going to have my back, and he's, going to, and he's going to be able to be there and to stick with me. And that's what it took. It, it took. I'll use a few specifics. Um, one of the things that my therapist had me do is he said, I want you to write a letter to your father, but you're not going to deliver it. Or at least you don't have to. I said, well, that's silly. Why do I do that? And I did the exercise, and I discovered a lot of what I needed to say to him. I also needed to say to myself. And so that was one of the exercises he went through with me next, but just having someone there to walk through and say things like, yeah, it's natural to have a feeling like this. That's normal. That doesn't mean you're broken. Yeah. That feeling is going to lead to this space. And yeah, it's normal to have that feeling come from this place. And it's okay that you're having these feelings and these thoughts. We're going to work on that, but that doesn't mean you're broken forever. You know, one of the images that was given to me that was really, really helpful, um, I mean, it's a slight story. Here we are in America, or at least some of the, in most of the first world. If I have something that breaks, I have a lovely little pen right here. If the pen breaks, what do I do with it? I throw it away. Love the store. <laughs> yeah, I just toss it. And this is our mentality. Broken stuff, throw it away. This is really toxic when we say, oh, no, I'm broken. What do I do? Oh, throw myself away. What does God do with broken things? Have you ever broken a bone? Oh,
0: yeah. Four of them.
1: So. There you go. So if you ever look at a, on a scan, an MRI scan for a bone, did you know that there's actually more bone mass present after it's healed than it was initially?
0: Yeah, it's stronger.
1: Everything around it will break. Exactly. Exactly. That's what God does when we break too, is God can come in and there's such a comfort with the notion that the fact that something broke inside me doesn't mean I need to be thrown away, but that God can actually come in and build it to be stronger than it was initially.
0: Yeah. Just like we broke our arm. We're not broken. Something is broken, but it's not us at our core. Um, no less than, Hey, I broke my arm. You know, I need to be, I need to be taken out. (laughs) It's like, yeah, don't, don't take me out behind the shed and put me out to the pasture yet. (laughs) There's ways to fix it. Right. So exactly. Well, let's, let's jump ahead. The one thing that I wanted to talk about as well, you had jumped out of corporate and went into entrepreneurship And whether it's being laid off, um, you know, making a transition like you did, retiring, whatever the case may be, when we leave, you know, our career, our job, um, we'll have an identity and that job and what we've done can be the identity. How did you go about when you made that change? Um, did you struggle with your identity or were you already rock solid and, and how did you, you know navigate that time frame that change
1: so i was blessed god didn't ask that challenge of me too early on um, it still was very, very difficult. And I think the identity is exactly the right word. Uh, I sometimes call this performance mentality or performance identity. You know, in you're you're in high school, you're on the soccer team. There's that critical moment. The ball's passed to you. You swing your foot and one of two things about to happen that, that kick's going to go into the net, in which case you get carried home on the arms and shoulders of your fellow team members, or it misses and you go home by yourself and are lonely. All that matters is did the ball make it in the net or not? And it's so easy as men to choose that as our basis of identity. And I for sure had done that as well. Let me perhaps share a few details about what was going on for me at the time. So I mentioned I grew up very poor. And in psychology terms, I had made what we call a vow. And the vow is something like, I swear I will never be poor now here's what's funny about these things they sound so good oh that's great michael won't be poor how wonderful but what this does though is this twists our perception of the world and it starts this little background process going that affects our decisions so that we start sacrificing other things to never be poor and when that moment came that i really discerned god was calling me to leave i mean i fought this thing for months like i'd, I'd love to say this was a graceful smooth transition but i was so grumpy about this and i was like no i don't want to go do that lord that's dumb i have this Beautiful job, six figure income, all the benefits. Like I had a cushion. It was a nice setup that I had going on there and I was going to be leaving for something that was four digits worth of income, maybe. And, and way more hours worth of working, way more stress. And God, why would you want me to do that? But on the deeper level, it's that I had sworn I would always have money. That's why I got my PhD in chemistry. That's why I went off to school in the first place. I, I, I don't want to be in that situation anymore. And so I think for me, one of the biggest challenges was coming in that confrontation that I had made that vow, that I had made that unholy promise to say, this is what my life will be. This is who I will be. And to realize there was something left without that there. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes the only way that some of us men can really Maybe there's men who handles better, but at least in my case, the only way I could have really gotten there was for God just to rip it away like a Band-Aid. You're for him to say, okay, Michael, you think your identity is how much money you make in your corporate security, blah, blah, blah. Rip. You want to see it's not true? Here you go. And there you're like, oh, that stings so bad. But if we can approach with humility and the sense of surrender, my my most hated biblical story is the story of Martha and Mary. I am such a Martha. And the injustice of Martha's story just grates me every time. For those who aren't, don't remember the story, as Mary's sitting down, listening to Jesus. Martha's working her butt off to carry for every single person there in the house. And Martha goes, but Jesus says, come on, Jesus, get Mary to help me out here. This is reasonable. I'm doing all the work. Come on. And Jesus, of course, tells her, uh, nope, Mary chose a better path. And that injustice just digs into me because that's really what I had built so much of my identity on was I'm the guy who gets it done. I do all this stuff. I make it happen. And so, yeah, it was really, really hard. There's a tremendous amount. This is this is a very dirty, horrible S word of surrender that had to happen for me to surrender my sense of who I was, for me to surrender my dependence on money as being the validation that I was a good guy. Yeah, that one can be a challenge. <laughs> Big time. (laughs) Yep. I maintain the real dirty words aren't the four-letter words. They're words, things like surrender or control and like those those dirty words. Transparency, honesty, vulnerability. Authenticity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: And they are hard to enact. Well, so this isn't something that we had talked about before. But what I'm wondering, so you talked about how when your dad you know, in your dad going to jail for 10 years, left you wondering what is a man, right? And you and I both were at a point now where we're able to look back and go, I did not start off as well as I would have liked. How have you in your marriage, you know, you're, you're going along as the husband. How have you learned to step into that role where it's like you're supporting your wife able to come alongside of her and hear her um in a way like you wouldn't have before right because you didn't grow up seeing that so how have you how have you learned to step into that role into those shoes when it wasn't an example set before you
1: um I'll, i'll i'll be blunt and say by screwing it up a lot and having good mentors and good inspiration and good books come into my life to help out but you're you're spot on when I when I left the house, I thought a man was a guy who'd go out and fornicate with as many women as possible, drink until he could barely see straight, and do the same thing the next day. That's what a man did. That's what I learned growing up. Right? That's and, and that ties in perfectly because there's two, I'll say, commonly approved masculine emotions: anger and lust. Those ones you can express. Ah, oh, he's a man, but obviously those are ones that don't get you anywhere. And I tried, I, I chased that lifestyle hard. I did. And um, probably took a few years off my life with those attempts. But as I got married, as I, as I was married and started, you know, raising this family, things started happening, things that didn't make sense. And I would notice that my wife would say things, for example, and I'd listen to those things. And like, what? That, that makes no sense. Why would those words come out of that woman's mouth? And, and Let me give you a pro tip right now. For every man listening, if you take nothing else from this episode, this one sentence may change your life. When your wife speaks words, they have nothing to do with you. Even if your name is in those words, they have only to do with what she is feeling. And the words will come out with sometimes the most fanciful stories and fanciful claims and dare even use the word accusations. But I said that really has nothing to do with you. It has only to do with how she is feeling. In that moment, and when a man has the strength to stand there and let the tidal wave of words, some of which have some pretty mighty sharp swords on them, wash over him and remain calm and grounded and loving, that is the power of a man that I never saw growing up. And when I, I remember when I was first challenged with that, and there was another man I respect, yet another mentor who gave me that challenge, and I, I I won't use the word I said to him. I said that's impossible. That's 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 crazy, and. I still struggle with this. I think all men do, but I can tell you in those moments when I do, and I think, you know, it's really important too for us men to realize that nobody gets anything perfectly the first time, like the, the natural progression. Like if you think about watching your kiddos learn how to walk, right? They face plants so many times and you cheer on because they're cute and you know, they kind of bounce you. Right. But here's your, you're a husband with a wife that's upset and you're trying to learn how to walk and stands too strong in the onslaught of her words. And you're in a face plant. It hurts a lot more. And you have to pick yourself up anyways and say, okay, that one didn't work. Let's try again. And a lot of repeat, a lot of forgiveness in part of my wife. That, that's a big key to it too. I'm very blessed that way. But I don't know if that answers the question or not. Uh,
0: yeah. Um So if you were talking to me and and you're like, Mike, I'm not seeing you be consistent with your wife, right? You say you want to do this, but yet this is what you're doing how would you encourage me to, to change from what I saw where, you know, my mother was very manipulative. My dad was passive, barely present, but they knew how to work off of each other. Right. I mean, that's pretty common. Yeah, um, it is, but as I'm stepping in and I'm repeating, unfortunately, like what I saw, how would you come alongside of me and go, Hey, my this isn't working, what you're doing, um, to change my behavior and, and get out of that track, that, that
1: pattern. I would actually start by ever so gently exploring. Do you believe it's even possible for you to become this man that you want to be? Cause let me be real blunt. A lot of us don't believe it's possible. I worked with a lot of guys, a lot of extremely successful guys, you know, big incomes, big corporate, whatever. And deep down, they still think that they are a failure as a man, and they can never live up to that goal. And so here's what's so sneaky, so sneaky about that sentence, that thought. It's partly true. It is partly true. And we have to be willing to sit and look at the way in which it is partly true if we're going to move forward. And I would ask you, when you look at that part of yourself and you see intrinsically, you, Mike, like me, you're a sinner. You're not perfect. There will always be a piece of you that will fall short. Can you still love yourself knowing that peace exists, knowing you will be unable to live up to that ideal? And most men are unwilling to sit in this space to look at the part of themselves that will always fail and then to really be accepting and even loving of that part of themselves. And if we cannot do that, if we cannot give love to ourselves there, you cannot give love to your wife in the other ways you need to as well. You cannot give what you do not have. And the other, next thing I would do is I would say, if you're able to sit there and to look at that piece and know it's not perfect and that that's okay, and that's the raw material God gets to work with, and then to say, and I'm going to surrender my expectations that I have of myself and just simply live in this moment right now, how do I... Do my best in this moment to do one step better. And maybe I will face plant and get up like that little toddler and try again. Maybe to put the left foot a little bit differently this time. Oh, I face plant. That wasn't it either. Maybe I shouldn't try to step with my left foot twice. That might be a good idea too, eh? And, And again, I choose these examples that are silly to laugh at, but the truth is it's equally as true and equally as failure prone for us trying to move into these spaces that we have no idea what to do. Like imagine a toddler trying to learn to walk with a blindfold on. Uh, or even give him an inner ear disease who has no sense of equilibrium. It'd be super hard. And that's kind of a better analogy to what we're trying to do here as men. And so I would start by saying, can you love yourself knowing you're being perfect? And can you forgive yourself and live in the moment and just try right now to be the best you can? Because I guarantee you the beauty of the human brain is such that if you just keep pushing forward, you will make progress. You'll never reach perfect, but you will make a, so much progress and that progress just compounds on itself.
0: Yeah. And I think the amazing thing is that when we quit trying to hold ourselves to this level of, ex, you know, like perfection, right? Expected perfection, that it not only gives us room to give ourselves grace, but it's also going to create space for our wife to go like, hey, I recognize what's going on and then creates a space for her to say, I'm not having to worry about him reacting this way. So I don't have to respond in this way. Um, you know, my wife and I, dude, there were things it was like, <laughs> you could look, it was like a set of dominoes, Michael, this one goes off. That one goes off. This one goes off. Well, if he's going to spend, then I'm going to spend and And it was just ridiculous how far we would take ourselves because of that train of thought that we were hurting ourselves more collectively than we could individually. Um, and it, it's, I don't know that the other thing is giving ourselves continued grace because I don't know about you. It's almost like playing golf, right? If I have you come in and coach me in golfing, it's like, Hey Mike, you need to do this with your arms. It's not just my arms. I have to worry about. I got my hips, my knees, my ankles, my my head, where am I looking? And so, as one thing gets fixed, something else is going to show up. It's like, hey, you're hooking the ball. Okay, change this. Now you're slicing the ball. And it's like that continued grace to just say, I'm going to do my best um, and just take encouragement from that. And like we had talked about before, having other men around us, I think, gives us a different perspective because I can look at myself and it's a pretty common thing. We'll berate ourselves you know, we have less grace and compassion for ourselves. Whereas I look at you, Michael, and I go, oh my gosh, dude, I've seen so much growth out of you. I won't see that same progression. And so having other men gives us that opportunity to have somebody with a, a true, like unaltered perspective of where's the growth, where are the opportunities, um, and just come alongside and encourage each other because it's like, you may have stuff that I don't struggle with, but we together, it's almost like a three-legged race, right? We can go further together than we can alone. So, yeah, but it's, like you said, sitting and allowing ourselves to be introspective and think about things and be uncomfortable with it. I think, I don't know about you, Did for me, I avoided uncomfortability. Like pain, it was yeah. like,
1: nope, other way. Was that the same thing for you? Oh, yeah. I think that's true for everyone. It's It takes a special sort of gut intensity to be able to look down discomfort and say, yeah, bring it on. And even when we get good at that physically, because there are some guys, there are some guys who like lean into that physical pain. Oh, feel the burn at the gym. You know, whatever it is. Like for guys, even those guys I find are still extremely avoidant when it comes to dealing with emotional pain and most men are not trained at all to deal with emotional pain Hmm. we don't know what to do with it we sit there and it seems overwhelming it seems like a dragon we cannot slay and so of course we're going to run from it like dude if a real life dragon popped up outside my house right now like i don't know like i live in northern i've got a gun i don't know if a gun even works in a dragon man like i think i'm just taking my family running like i don't think i'm gonna face a real life dragon right like that's just not a good call and it feels that intimidating as guys to face some of these emotional, painful situations. And one of the funniest, uh, most consistent emotional pains that men are afraid to face is when their wife is upset. Hmm. Because it feels that we failed as a husband. And that sense of failure, we talked about this earlier, as identity, that sense of failure in one of our fundamental, most important identities is just overwhelming. And guys will run right. every way to try to avoid that. Yeah,
0: it's crazy. I mean, that that's one of those things that'll <laughs> give you a little encouragement in the backside. It's like cattle prod. Um mm-hmm. Yeah. And so from that, how have you built up that muscle to sit and be in that uncomfortable spot and be introspective and go, hey, this is what um I'm seeing and this is not where I want to be? How did you build up that muscle to stay in that place to look for what does need to be changed and isn't working right now.
1: The best answer that I can give you is practice. Like there's, I don't know of a magic silver bullet that it's the same thing. If you want to build up, you know, if you want to do a bigger bench press, you got to put the reps into the gym. If you want to build up the muscle for emotionally, you just got to keep doing the reps. And you got to accept that early on. So I, I actually love the gym. I, I I go to the gym a bit and you'll see some new person walk in and like maybe I got 350 pounds on my back squat and he'll walk up next to me and he'll have like a hundred pounds. I'm at a back squat and it's just kicking his butt. And he watched me do it. And he's like, oh, that's so terrible. How come you get to do that? And I don't use those words. That's what he's thinking though. Right. And I just look at him and say, because I have put the reps in and you just got to keep putting the reps in, keep showing up, deal with the discomfort. You know, it's going to hurt. Sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes you got to drop the stinking bar and jump out of the lift. Like that's life. You got to put the reps in. And sometimes you're going to try to stand in your wife's anger and frustration and yucky feelings and you're going to lose it. And you're going to say, Oh, I didn't, I didn't hold it together that time. Ask for your, ask for her for forgiveness. Give forgiveness to yourself. Get up and try again. And you just, you got to put the reps in.
0: Yeah. We're coming back to that whole thing of grace and forgiveness for ourselves. <laughs> yep. That's a consistent theme Michael
1: I don't I don't get it so are you saying that I really need to practice on that <laughs> Oh grace and forgiveness man I, I I this sounds so silly but you cannot give what you do not have and I guarantee you as a man of the household your wife and your family and your children that's so redundant are desperate for your blessing of approval and your forgiveness and the grace you can offer them they are desperate for it because you have a very special power as the man of the household over them to give that to them and if you cannot give it to yourself first, you're not going to be as effective to them as you need to be.
0: Well, and I think we can look at ourselves, Michael. Like neither of us had that father that played that role to give us that blessing to to say, Yes, I approve of you. You're val you know, validating us as men. We know the hurt that it leaves, right? It's not like, oh, I had a paper cut three hours later, it's gone. It's like, no, it's present. It continues to oh, be yeah. present. Um it's that same thing they're looking at it and it's a little different perspective but we know the power because we haven't had that present in our life so the absence of it is a, a reflection you know what i mean like it tells you how much power that
1: that carries amen i want to go one step a little bit further on that thought there too and even when we drop the bar even there's an opportunity for immense healing. Let me share a quick story. So my second, mm-hmm. um, she might have ADHD. We're trying to figure that out, but she's certainly not attentive t- at least. And the other day, I, I, I'm not going to share what she was doing. She was not being attentive. And after enough periods of not being attentive, my volume got pretty loud and I got harsh and I said things in a way that was not loving and kind. And so I left the room. I knew I needed to calm down. And I came back in you know, 10, 15 minutes later And I said, okay, kiddo, we got to talk. Dad just got too mad. He was too harsh on you. And I'm apologizing. And would you please forgive me for, for speaking to you the way I did? It wasn't right. And she goes, that's fine, dad. It's fine. And this is one of those critical moments because the kids want to get out of that discomfort as much as we do. And this is a great moment to role model. And I took her hands and I just said, no, kiddo, it's not fine. The way that I spoke to you there was not fine. It was wrong. It was sinful. And I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And she got what I was saying. And in that moment there, I'd argue that's just as important as getting it right the first time because they're going to mess it up too. And they need to see what do I do when I mess it up? How do I make it right? And I would encourage you like in your, when you're doing those reps and you do drop the bar or whatever, use that as an opportunity too, because you can bring healing and you can bring that same thing that we all desperate for. Even into that moment, it takes humility. You willing to get down on your knees and look at that, you know, eight year old face and say those words and mean it, but it, it really is powerful.
0: Absolutely. A hundred percent. And it doesn't necessarily mean as they get older that they're going to be like, Hey dad, yeah, I forgive you. But I think the power in it is us also just coming to that place of humility and asking and acknowledging, Hey, I didn't do it right. I do apologize asking for the forgiveness because that is an uncomfortable place. Um, so we can do what we can do. And that's, that's what we're called to do. Yeah. Michael, thank you so much, my friend, for coming in, sharing like how you have transitioned out of things, how you're continuing to learn and grow. And that as uncomfortable as it can be, that introspection, that grace, the patience that we give ourselves and the permission to keep trying is so powerful. And it's something. I don't think many of us understand and have been told is available. So yeah. I appreciate you coming in and speaking to that, my friend, how can men connect with you outside of the podcast?
1: So I, I work with men and I am Christian. And so particularly I'm a Catholic, the way to find me is just type in Catholic life coach for men. It's the name of my podcast, the name of the website. Um, there's some fun little intro videos. If you want to learn more about what I do on the website, check them on out. Catholic life coach for men. And you'll pull me right up.
0: Michael, I appreciate it. Thank you so much.
1: Mike, it's been a pleasure. I wish we had more time. This was so much fun.
0: Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. Helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.